Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 26. And ladies and gentlemen, this is the word of God. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Pray together. Oh God, unveil your truth as only you can. We confess our need of your light, the light of your word, and in hearing it, may we know it, and we know the truth, and the truth make us free. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. This masterful book, by the Holy Spirit, has impacted all Christians through the centuries, rightfully so. The message is loud and clear. Jesus is better. He's better than angels. He's better than Moses. He's better in every respect. Once we understand who Jesus is and what he's done, we could never be attracted by the false cults out there. We would never succumb to their delusion regarding who Jesus is and what he's done. Every false church, and there are false churches, has a lower view of Jesus than is biblical and a higher view of man than is biblical. And often it is the case, always it is the case, that in a false church they have a false message, a false Christ, and a false gospel. Christ alone saves is the message of the Bible. Every cult would say, you need Christ, perhaps, you might need it, in fact you do need it, but you also need this. It's Christ plus. The message of the Bible is Christ, Christ alone. We've seen that in this chapter in a remarkable way. Hebrews was of course written to Hebrew Christians who would understand what we call the Old Covenant, the Old Testament very, very well, and it's certainly the case that he knew that they knew what was in the Old Testament and could refer to it. And Hebrews 7 may be mysterious to us Gentiles, that are all, that is all those who are not raised in Hebrew society and have uh, Hebrew heritage, we don't get it, we have to be taught it. And Hebrews 7 is masterful. We looked last time at 14 comparisons, 14 contrasts between the Levitical system and that of Melchizedek and Christ. And we won't go over that, but it is a thrill to the soul. So we come to verse 26, we read these words. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. The NIV is very quotable at this point. Such a high priest truly meets our need. That captures the thought. Such a high priest truly meets our need. You and I have need of a priest. We may not think that way, 
we think in isolation, and we think in independence, but biblically, you and I need a priest to approach Holy God. And there is only one authorized high priest. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, John chapter 14, verse 6, we can hear that and understand it, but to the Hebrews, it is saying what the book of Hebrews says. He's the only approach to God. He's the only high priest. And the writer of Hebrews outlines that for us. He fits. Jesus fits. He's the right one for the job. He's an exact fit. There's a job assignment, and there are many candidates, but there's only one who's authorized by God. He's the suitable candidate, and he's the only candidate. And he fulfills all the necessary conditions, all the necessary qualifications. Only one man meets the conditions. First Timothy 2 verse 5, quoting it, says it all. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. There are not many go-betweens. There's not Jesus plus someone else. It's Jesus alone. Solus Christus, said the reformers. Shouted the reformers. Christ and Christ alone. It's not Christ plus Mary and the saints. Or this one and that one. You can't get directly to God. You need to go between other than God. No. Jesus is the God-man. The only mediator who can stand between us and God. On the cross, Jesus was able to lay his hand on God as God and lay his hand on man as man and bring us together in the cross. He brought reconciliation. Two estranged parties, God and man, brought together by the cross. What a thrill it is to even say that. The message of Hebrews 7 is that Jesus is both king and priest, something never seen in the Old Testament apart from the priesthood of this mysterious figure called Melchizedek. And Jesus stands in that order, now and forever. That's the message. Uh, Psalm 110, verse 4. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. God has sworn this to be the case. And the message is, his priesthood is better than every Levitical priesthood. And again, we'll be stressing this, but we don't get this in Western societies. But what a message this would be for the Jews, who were raised in the Old Testament. Everything of the Levitical system fails in comparison to the priesthood of Melchizedek. And that has been borne out by the text. Jesus' priesthood, Melchizedek's priesthood, is better than every Levitical priesthood. And that's the message. We either get excited about it or we don't. But if we see it, there's much to be excited about. Logic prevails as we look at the a writer's logic seen in these words before us in the entire chapter. In fact, we finished last time with verse 25. Consequently, in other words, here's the logical argument, and now I can say it. Consequently, he is able to say to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. What a statement, perhaps the greatest statement of the entire chapter. He is able to save to the uttermost. From the guttermost to the uttermost, he saves, and he saves completely. No matter where we are, the strength of our salvation is in the Savior, not in our great faith. It's not our great faith.
faith that saves, but our great Savior who saves through faith. Amen. Praise the Lord for it. So, it is indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, such a high priest, such as a fitting high priest. You could equally say, such a high priest was fitted to us. That would be a good rendering of the opening words here. Concerning this, John Owen writes, Unholy sinners stand in need of a holy priest and a holy sacrifice. What we do not have in ourselves, we must have in him, or we will not be accepted by the Holy God, who has such pure eyes that he cannot look on sin. Such a high priest is the Lord Jesus Christ. End of quote. Do you, know, do you and I see this? Our desperate need of a high priest our desperate need of a holy sacrifice that God accepts. God does not accept every sacrifice. We see that as early as Genesis chapter 4. Remember Abel and Cain? One brought a sacrifice that was acceptable to God, one did not. And it was very clear that God accepted one and not the other. Not every religious uh, meaning is endorsed by God and has His favor. There can be a lot of loud noise. Remember those who made loud noises at the Golden Calf event? It had uh, full attendance, it had a lot of gusto, it probably had amazing beat, but God swallowed people alive because of what they were doing in idolatry. These are high stakes. And so the message to the Hebrews, who, was this, who were this struggling group amongst the society that were outlawing them and persecuting them, was you've got it better, you've got it made. It's just that you can't see it in the physical realm right now. But one day you will. One day you'll see what earthly eyes can never see. And so we walk by faith, not by sight, as 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says. And so we have the Hebrews 11 chapter all about faith. You can't see it, but this is true. Jesus Christ is on the throne, and he's better than anything that is offered to you in the Judaism now. That whole system is now defunct. It's over. God has torn the curtain. The, the, the priesthood of the Levites are now defunct. No longer recognized by God. There has been one sacrifice that fulfilled everything the Levitical system pointed to. He's come. He's done it. It's finished. And Jesus has made the sacrifice and he now sits on the throne. That's the message. And I hope you and I can be excited by that, or else we're dead. We're just dead. That's what it is. What do you mean by that? I think I've made myself clear. <laughs> what the writer then does is list seven qualifications of Jesus as high priest. Whenever you find five, look for six. And if you find six, find the seventh, because you usually find seven of everything. It seems to be the signature of the Holy Spirit on our Bibles. And there are seven qualifications. This is Jesus' CV, if you like. His qualifications to be the high priest we need. He's the fitting high priest. Here are seven ways in which that's the case. First of all, it says, holy. Do you see that in the text? For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy. Here it speaks of holiness in nature, not merely by consecration. In contrast, Aaron and the priests under the Levitical system were made holy, that means set apart to God, by their consecration. They had no holiness in and of themselves, but they had an outward form of holiness 
when they were consecrated as priests. Do you realize this? Priests need holiness. A desperate need of holiness before a holy God. They just couldn't walk in with what they wanted to wear. They had to wear the assigned garments and put it on in the order in which God specified. God had never, at never a moment has said to the outside world, you tell me what kind of church you like, what kind of service you like, and I'll be just thrilled that you show up. God, in fact, never instructed Moses to go amongst the Amalekites and the Canaanites and say, okay, we're, we're trying this uh, missionary thing, we'd love you to come to a service, how long would you like the service to be? Would you like a talk, or is that not really important? Uh, if there is a talk, if there's kind of a sermon, how long do you think, what will you put up with? Okay, you want childcare, you want clean restrooms, I understand that, yeah. But what kind of service would you come to? What kind of music do you like? God says, away with that, you'll come my way or there'll be death. That's kind of uh, not the American way. We like to have choices. We like 57 varieties. And God says, it's my tabernacle or death. How do you like that? That's the way you come. In fact, not everyone can come. And into the most holy place, the holy of holies, only one man once a year can come. Well, I'm not sure I like that. God says, well, uh, you're welcome to look, but there's no other God beside me. And I'm setting this up my way. And only when the tabernacle was set up God's way did God's presence come. Holy. In contrast with Aaron, who had to have an outward form of holiness, Jesus is holy. Priests need holiness. Aaron was a sinner. He could have no confidence in his own personal holiness. Therefore, God mandated special garments and special rituals. You remember the breastplate, the ephod, the robe with a tunic, a turban and a sash made of gold, fine linen. He couldn't just show up in t-shirts and flip-flops. He couldn't do it. He wasn't in California. He didn't know what we think a service should be. He had to come God's way or else he died. In fact, Aaron ministered as high, as high priest, recognizing his own sons were killed as priests because they messed with what God has instructed. And God made it clear, don't even mourn over that. They've done something real bad. They've not treated me as holy. And so, holy garments were given to Aaron to cover the fact that he did not have it in and of himself. Each garment portrayed holiness. Each showed forth the fact that the priest could have no confidence in himself. I trust you understand that as a Christian. Uh, Paul writes in Philippians 3, For we are the circumcision, true Jews, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We can't come to God and say, I qualify this week. I've been a good old boy. I'm right now to come. I've done my Bible reading. I've witnessed my faith. I've not in any way compromised this week in thought, in word, in deed. I'm ready to come. No, we come as sinners every time. Oh, you're saying that because you're humble. No, I'm saying that because I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner in need of grace. And sinners, this is the amazing thing, sinners qualify to come. 
Because we've got an amazing high priest who's made an amazing sacrifice on our behalf. Amen. That's it. It's about him. He qualifies us. He puts us in the kingdom. He does it all. That's why all glory goes to him. None of it to us. Otherwise, you've got partial glory going to God. Imagine that as a hymn. Lord, we give you partial glory. What the, um, yeah, let lightning strike you. No, to him be all the glory. Why? He does everything in salvation. All we bring to the table of redemption is the sin that made the sacrifice of Christ necessary. Oh, you're getting bold. No, I'm just going to the text. Jesus is holy. He's holy. We're not. Paul went on in Philippians 3. He says, indeed, I count everything, all his earthly qualifications in context, as loss. There's a prophet and there's a lost column. He thought everything he had in life was on the prophet side. Very little in the lost side. But when he saw Christ and his righteousness, he removed everything from what he thought was prophet into the lost side. And he says, I renounce all of it. All of my heritage. All I have by way of DNA being a Jew. All I have in qualifications. I renounce them as dung. Menor. Yeah, it actually means that. I renounce them so that I may get Christ and have his righteousness. I count that everything is lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as dung. Count them as rubbish. Scumalon is the Greek word. That's what all religion is that's outside of God's mandate. Scumalon. Rubbish. Done. In order, in other words, I put that all aside, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Praise the Lord. Again, the point we made Aaron didn't have holiness, Aaron didn't have it outside of consecration. He was a sinner, he could know no more than anyone else. Say, I've got confidence in my holiness to approach God. No, he deserved death. The wages of sin is death. But God condescended. He stooped to allow sinful man to wear the robes and clothes of God's choosing to wear holy garments. By his own ritual cleansing, we read of it in Leviticus 16, and the wearing of outward clothes, many washings, and the right clothes, clothes that were set apart only for that purpose, God allowed, get this, priests to live. We don't say wow, but we should. To live and function in their office. John Calvin asked this question, how could he have appeased God for others when God was rightly angry with him himself? God was righteously angry with Aaron and with every sinner. But God condescended and said, all right, I'll put the garments on and you can approach me. And all of this was a prophetic pointing to Christ who come as the true and only high priest and who would bring a perfect sacrifice. Perfect priest, perfect sacrifice. There was no one who was perfect under the old system. And no one brought it perfect sacrifice, only brought animal sacrifice. But I'm getting ahead of myself. 
How? He said, could he, Aaron, appease God for others when God was rightly angry with him himself? The answer, he could stand only before God in clothes covering his inward defects. How kind of God to provide means by which sinful man could approach him. He is holy, holy, holy. As we read Isaiah chapter 6, what is fascinating to me, just as birds are designed to fly in the sky and fish are designed by God to swim in the sea, angels, specific angels, were designed to be about God's throne. You read it in Isaiah chapter 6. And yet, with six wings, with two of them, they covered their faces. Why? God is so holy that even though they're made specifically for the immediate presence of God, they can't handle it. They can't look upon the holiness of God. That's how holy God is. Angels designed for the very purpose can't handle it. That's how holy our God is. He's the one on the throne. And this is the Lord Jesus. All of this in the Old Testament was a temporary arrangement. The entire law system in which the priest's function was temporary. And that's the point of this chapter. It's much of the point. The law was weak. The law was ineffective. Something perfect was yet to come. The law pointed to it from every angle, every sacrifice, every priest. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything it pointed to. But in itself, it was not all that. It didn't get us all the way to God. Again, Aaron didn't have holiness outside of his consecration. He did only have external holiness. But Jesus, look at this, is holy. Holy. Jesus didn't need to become holy. He was holy in and of himself. That word holy might be rendered holy or devout. And what is in view here is not how he appears in man's sight, but in God's sight. Through the use of the tunics and the garments, Aaron and the priest could look holy. Jesus was holy. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is the priest we need. He is indeed fitting, and it is indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Holy. Next word, innocent. You could use the word innocent, you could use the word blameless here, harmless. And here it speaks of the fact that when Jesus was attacked, he did not defend himself. He did not react in aggression. He could have. Do you remember in the Gospel of John when Judas betrayed him? An army of troops came to arrest Jesus. And they said, are you Jesus? And he says, I am. Interesting words. Interesting choice of words. And you remember what happened? They fell to the ground. Do you believe that people can fall under the power of God? They did. But it was a judgment. That's what it is in Scripture. They fell in judgment because Jesus was saying this. You may be cracked two truths, but I've got more power in one word than all you have put together. And if I'm voluntarily giving myself up, it's obvious I could do you in at any time. You'll crack troops. I am. Oh, where'd you go? And they got up and said, well, we're after Jesus. All right, arrest him. But he showed him he was in charge. But he did not react in aggression. He was innocent. He was blameless. Isaiah 53 
700 years before the time of Christ, we read these words, He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so He opened not His mouth. Thank you, Jesus, you did this for me. By oppression and judgment, He was taken away, and as for His generation, who considered that He was cut up out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth. He opened not his mouth. He had done no violence. Turning your Bibles to the right of 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 21. For to this you have been called. What's the this? Submitting to authority, enduring, all in the context of suffering. And verse 21, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. I believe that's a quotation from what we just read in Isaiah. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's our Jesus. He's the fitting candidate, the fitting high priest. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for being who you are. Holy, 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 and innocent, blameless, harmless, Next word in Hebrews 7 is the word unstained. Do you see the text? Holy, innocent, unstained. The New American Standard Bible renders this undefiled. We were in 1 Peter 2. I should have told you to stay there and go to chapter 1. 1 Peter 1 and verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Without blemish or spot. Unblemished speaks of his holiness by nature. His spotlessness speaks of his holy life. He was holy throughout all his life. Never once did Jesus ever have to say sorry. I can't get through a week without saying sorry for something. Jesus never had to. Never had to say sorry to the Father. Always on task. Always keeping the law. Why? For us. So that when he died, that whole law that was lived, keeping of the law, can be credited to the account of anyone who believes. What Christ has done counts for us. He lived for us and he died for us. We focus rightly on his death, but don't forget his life. He died to forgive us, but he lived to give us righteousness. Where does God get righteousness when he credits it to the account of the believer? The righteous life of Christ. His death is counted as your death. His life is counted as your life. Unblemished. Unstained, undefiled, spotless. 
Next words in Hebrews 7. Separated from sinners. Again, you see it in the text. Separated from sinners. There are two ways we can look at this. One way is to see that he was separated from sinners on the cross. Jesus endured the ultimate rejection of man. Crucifixion. This wasn't just be outside the camp for a little while. This was execution of a torturous form. Crucifixion. Again, Isaiah quoted 53. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. He was rejected of men. Is that the way we are to read separate from sinners? I think many do. All of that is true. He was. But I believe the separation here is in terms of Christ in his sinlessness. He was separate from us because unlike us, he was free of sin. Separated, notice this, from sinners. That's the emphasis. He was set apart. There's sinners. Jesus is separate. Unlike us sinners, he is separated from sin. Now with this in mind, I can't help but think of the baptism of Jesus under John's ministry. John had come preaching a baptism of repentance, saying to all Israel, Obey God, be baptized, repent, and believe the good news. Jesus comes along and John's not getting it. He's just proclaimed, as we read in John 1, 29, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And there, sometime later, Jesus is coming to be baptized. And John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He thought, what's going on here? Jesus, you shouldn't be baptized. I need to be baptized by you, not me baptizing you. This is all wrong. And Jesus said, look, we haven't got time to go to our Sunday school or King's Church. We haven't got time for that right now. Suffer it. And, and just get through this. This is Salvation 101. You'll get it after the resurrection. You'll get it all. But right now, just, just do it. This is the right thing. In this way, we fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus was baptized by John. Why? Jesus was doing what the law and what God was now requiring. All Israel, go under John's baptism. Now, to the outside observer, you might think, well, uh, he's just said that this one is the Lamb of God and the perfect Lamb and he's getting baptized. What, what's with that? And so, to make sure there was no confusion, God bellowed out, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Okay? Got it? Alright, John, carry on. That's really what happened. Oh, okay, I think, I think that explains it. There's nothing wrong with Jesus. He's done nothing wrong. He is not repenting of his sins. He's going through the waters of obedience. And God made it clear, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Alright, you got it? Alright, carry on. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Did look a little confusing. I'm very glad God spoke from heaven. He bellowed it out in everyone's hearing. You think, you're being dramatic. No, read the text. It was obvious to all. What was that? That was God's voice. Whoa. Jesus came up out of the water. 
is the son in whom I'm well pleased. All right? Carry on, folks. Next phrase. And exalted above the heavens. I love this. This was God's response to the rejection of men. Rejected of men? Jesus, exalted above the heavens. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection. A lot of people had their opinions of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, uh, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm the light of the world. I'm the good shepherd. I am all that I am. I'm God himself. <coughs> by the resurrection, Jesus is declared by the Father to be all that he declared himself to be. All that he claimed to be. And God, by the resurrection, raising Christ from the dead, says to everybody, he is who he says he is. He's the Son of God. And I declare it with power. Up, my son. And not only up to life, but life on the throne. That's what it means, exalted above the heavens. By the resurrection, Jesus is exalted. And then he's placed in the place of all authority. Back to First Peter chapter 3. Let me quote verse 21. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ... Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, this is 1 Peter 3, 22, at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. He's in the place of all authority. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the gospel. We've sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. We are rebel sinners. And God in his love for this world sent the second person of the Trinity into the world to be born of a virgin, living a flawless, perfect, spotless, unblemished life. And then at the cross, absorbing in himself the anger of God due to us, he died in our place. He died as our substitute. We committed no righteousness. He committed no sin. And there on the cross, the exchange took place. As he hung there, the Father laid on him the iniquity of us all. To quote Isaiah 53 again. And he bore our sins in his body on the tree. 1 Peter 2, 24. And he now is in the place of all authority. All angels, authorities, powers have been subjected to him. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ is not simply just coming back to reign. He's reigning now. He's king of the nations now. He's king of kings and lord of lords now. Africa belongs to Jesus. America belongs to Jesus. China belongs to Jesus. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That covers it all. Not will one day. He's reigning now. He's ruling now. Exalted above the heavens. Verse 27. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily. This is Hebrews 7, 27. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. This is loaded. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people. What a contrast. 
unlike the Levitical priests, they had to go in and make sacrifice for their own sins first. The first thing they had to do was recognize their own sinfulness. Now they've got the garments on, now they have the outward form. The first thing they do is make sacrifice for their own sins. Keep your place in Hebrews, go to Leviticus chapter 16. I'm just going to read it and hopefully you're strapped in, you've got your seatbelts on. Please do not walk about the cabin. Here we go. Leviticus 16, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of his two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. Yeah, that's what Leviticus is. It's a manual on how to stay alive as a priest. Sometimes you're reading Genesis and you've got a lot of excitement there. You've got four big events. You've got creation, you've got the fall, you've got Noah and the flood, you've got the Tower of Babel, then you've got four big people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and then you get through Exodus, and you've got plagues, you've got all kinds of exciting things taking place, you get to Leviticus, you think, I'm, I'm going to read through my Bible in a couple of weeks, this is so exciting, then you get bogged down. If you read Leviticus, you say, I'm trying to get through verse 20 of this chapter. I'm trying to stay awake. Yeah, but if you understand this is a manual for Levitical priests, which is why it's called Leviticus, this is the most exciting book for priests. It's how to stay alive. Get this right, you stay alive. Oh, I've got an incentive to read now. So they died. Verse 2, the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil. That's slightly discouraging. Before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. I'm not making this up. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place. Not his way, my way. Aaron, don't be singing that Frank Sinatra song. With a bull from the herd for a sin offering. Oh, can I bring something else? No, you'll be dead. Okay, okay, okay. And a ram for a burnt offering. Uh, oh, okay, I'll make a note of that. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put it on. Put them on. Oh, he... he Oh, so there's preparation before he even puts the clothes on. Yep. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself. And shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. 
God then instructed him on what he should do for the people. But do you see the point? He first had to make sacrifice for his own sins. And that's the point we made in Hebrews. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those other people. The Hebrews would get this. We have to be instructed. Jesus had no need to offer sacrifice first for his own sin. Because he had no sin. Jesus was the guiltless and spotless lamb. Reading on in Hebrews 7.27 Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Once for all. Once for all. Jesus' sacrifice was necessary and ladies and gentlemen it was sufficient. That always is the issue. Is grace necessary? Many would say yes, but they balk at the idea that it's sufficient. You need grace plus human merit. You need mercy, but you also need to do these things. No, Jesus is the one who's brought us right standing with God. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's a sufficient sacrifice, folks, which is why he could offer himself and then sit down. Nothing more to do. There was no place in the tabernacle for the Levitical priest to sit down. Couldn't take a break. His job was never finished. There was always more to do. More to be done. More sacrifices. Let's go back to Hebrews if you aren't already there. Jesus, in contrast, offered one sacrifice and sat down. Look at Hebrews 10, verse 11. Let me quote it. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly. Repeatedly. The same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Cover it over. Day of Atonement. Atonement means covering. Yom Kippur. Day of covering. Day of Atonement. But they can never take away sins. But God says, this is a temporary measure, and by this covering, I'll treat you on the basis of what my son will do when he comes. You believe in me and my message, I'll give you the results that will come later, Christ's death, burial, resurrection. They were saved the same way. They were saved before the cross by believing the revelation of God, and God credited what God would do in Christ at the cross to their account. Abraham believed God was credited to him as righteousness. Whose righteousness? Christ's. We look back and we see the cross and we're justified on the basis of what has taken place. But we're all in the kingdom on the same basis. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, all to the glory of God alone. How do you know that? Based on the sure foundation of Scripture alone. Many other traditions of men, the Bible is very clear. This is how we're saved. Everyone in heaven, whether they can speak Latin or not, understand the solas. Everyone knows they're there by Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, and all glory goes to God alone. There are no songs being set up Glory to the angels for their help in this. Glory to Mary, glory to the saints, glory, 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 no, glory to God alone. 
Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly, this is Hebrews 10 11, the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered what for all time a single sacrifice to sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sacrificed. There's so much in this, we've got to wait till Hebrews 10 to get to it, but let me quote it. Praise the Lord. Jesus offered himself as one final, all-sufficient sacrifice. And get this, he was both the priest and the victim. Every priest would bring the victim. Most understand Jesus was victim. Few realize he was also a priest. Hebrews 9, let's read verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Jesus Christ, as priest, through the Holy Spirit, offered himself as victim to the Father. Let me say it again. Jesus Christ, as priest, through the Holy Spirit, offered himself as victim to the Father. Every member of the Trinity was involved. Jesus didn't bring a lamb for the sacrifice. He was the lamb of sacrifice. He, as the holy set-apart priest, offered himself as the victim. Verse 28, Hebrews 7. For the Lord appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath, speaking of the oath regarding the Melchizedek priesthood, it would abide forever, which came later than the Lord appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Here's the final contrast between the two priests as we saw all of them together in one sermon last time. Fourteen contrasts. Here's the final one, verse 28. Number one, the Lord appoints weak, sinful, mortal men. And secondly, God's oath, which... Psalm 110 verse 4 came, God's oath came subsequent to the law and it appointed his sinless son who's made perfect forever. How do we explain that? Well, Jesus was always perfect. That's what is meant when we read later in Hebrews, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's not talking about what he does. That's a verse about who he is. He's perfect forever. So how is he made perfect? Well, it's like a factory making a brand new sports car and saying this can handle the road, it can handle 100 miles an hour, it can handle 180 miles an hour. There are some cars that can do 300 miles an hour and above. And take it on a test and we think it's the perfect car. And then by testing, it's proven to be perfect. Jesus was perfect and proved it in his life and in his death. To him be the glory. Do we get this? If we understand this, we could never drift away. One of the warnings of Hebrews, chapter 2. We'll never turn our back on him. We'll never count the blood of Christ as worthless. We'll never go back to a system that could never perfect us because we've got a perfect high priest. 
and a perfect sacrifice. And the sacrifice not will happen in the future, but has already been made, and it was perfect, and God proved it by raising his son from the dead, saying to everyone, this sacrifice atones. Jesus on the cross said, it's finished. I've done it. I've fulfilled it. I've paid it in full. And we can look back on the finished work, not hope that one day he comes. He's come. He's the fitting high priest. And we have him. He's ours. He fulfills all the qualifications for high priest. Holy in nature, not merely in consecration. Innocent. He's harmless. He's unstained. He's undefiled. He's separate from sinners by a sinless life. He's exalted above the heavens. That's where he is right now. That's God's response to man's rejection of him. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices first for his own sins. He had none. His offering, the offering of himself. Father, here I am, the high priest, offering myself as the victim. God says, that's enough. That's all I needed. You've done it, son. Your all-sufficient sacrifice atoned for all the sins of all those who would ever believe, past, present, and future. You mean my future sins? Yes! When Jesus died on the cross, you were future. So were your sins. They better be atoned for. Jesus, when using an I sin, Jesus doesn't say, hold on, I'll go back and make another sacrifice. No, the one sacrifice atones for all the sins of God's people throughout the ages. Amen. He's priest and he's victim. He's the awesome, ultimate, perfect high priest. And he's brought the most awesome sacrifice that fully atoned for our sins. William Barclay summarized it this way. The Levitical high priest was a sinful man offering animal sacrifices for a sinful people. Jesus was the sinless Son of God offering himself for the sin of all men because he was what he was. The sinless Son of God. He was equipped for his office as no human high priest could ever be. My prayer is that you see him. What's the application? See him. Understand him. Understand his work. And you will thrill at the mercy of God in sending such a fitting high priest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for who he is and what he's done. We thank you for him as the perfect one. We celebrate his work. Write that truth on our hearts now and forever. Jesus, perfect high priest, after the order of Melchizedek, now and forever. Never needing to make another sacrifice, never needing to be replaced. He is the high priest, and we have him. In Jesus' name, amen.